This is Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief of Evidence-Based GI, and today I'm with Dr. Sonali Paul, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Chicago School of Medicine, and we will be discussing a recent New England Journal of Medicine article, Once Weekly Semaglutide in Adults with Overweight or Obesity. And this is really a groundbreaking study. So, you know, Dr. Paul, you're a obesity expert as well as being a hepatologist. Why is this topic so important? As we all know, obesity is a global problem. Globally, about 13% of the world's population is obese, but numbers are tripling kind of every year. But specifically in the U.S., there are 37% of the adult population is obese, with 33% being overweight. So it's a large amount of people that can benefit from this drug and have the kind of the consequences of obesity. And so really it affects every facet of medicine and mortality outcomes from cardiovascular disease to cancer. And in the GI world, we see it, obviously in my practice, I see it a ton of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease um, or metabolic associated fatty liver disease. So it's, it's really a public health problem. Yeah. My impression is that it's a huge issue for us as gastroenterologists because we frequently get asked by patients about what can be done to lose weight. And obviously it has such a big impact on cardiovascular disease and cancer. And yet it doesn't seem like there's very much that's beneficial for obesity. My impression is that bariatric surgery is the only thing that's demonstrated sustained weight loss in patients. Is that accurate or is that my mistake? No, that is accurate. There are other medications. Um, there's about five other medications that are FDA approved. Unfortunately, the percent weight loss is anywhere between four to 11%, which isn't very much. And with a sleeve gastrectomy, it's up to 20%. So it's obviously the weight loss is much more durable in bariatric surgery. The problem becomes though, not every single patient is a candidate given their comorbidities. And, and in my population, patients that have you know, cirrhosis, even compensated cirrhosis with portal hypertension, our surgeons are a little iffy on operating very rightly so. And so I think you know having other options for weight loss is so, so important. Absolutely. And you know, semaglutide is what we call a GLP-1 analog. It's an agent that originally was looked at for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. And I guess during the conduct of those trials, they noted that the diabetic patients would lose weight also, which ultimately led to investigators assessing this for weight loss in obese individuals who didn't have diabetes. So what exactly did investigators do in this study to assess whether or not a GLP-1 analog would help with uh, weight loss? So there are about 1,900 adult patients. So you had to have a BMI either greater than 30 or greater than 27 with one metabolic comorbidity. And they did that on purpose as those are the indications for weight loss pharmacotherapy right now. So comorbidities include diabetes, um, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, even obstructive sleep apnea would qualify. More importantly, I think the emphasis is really on non-diabetic patients. The other exclusion criteria, you couldn't have a history of pancreatitis or chronic pancreatitis just because GLP-1s are associated with pancreatitis. And so that was one of the exclusion criteria. So they looked at weekly semaglutide versus placebo with the addition of lifestyle intervention. So 
diet of about 1500 calories in addition to 150 minutes of exercise per week. And they started slow as we do in practice. Um, they started at 0.25 milligrams and increased the dose over every, usually every three to four weeks, over 16 weeks. And they got up to a dose of 2.4 milligrams. And it was a great study. It was randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled. It was randomized two to one. And the main outcome that they were looking at was the mean percentage reduction in body weight in proportion to patients with greater than 5% reduction in body weight from baseline. And they looked at this all the way up until week um, 68. There's a lot to unpack there. And I just wanted to reemphasize a couple of the points that you made that, first of all, this was a randomized double-blind study with intention to treat analysis. So very well-designed study. Patients were given these preset pen injectors so that they didn't know if they were getting placebo or the real drug. And as you said, it's important to recognize this is a sub-Q agent. The patients are injecting themselves weekly with this. This is not diabetic patients that they were looking at. And they follow them actually out to 68 weeks, almost a year and a half. That's certainly a very long period of time to conduct a randomized double-blind trial and gives us a sense about whether or not the patients were going to sustain weight loss. Um, I think it deserves mentioning again, as you said, it's, it's very infrequent, but there is an association of the GLP-1 analogs with acute pancreatitis. So they excluded people with acute pancreatitis or a history of chronic pancreatitis from the study I know. So what did the study show? How good was it at creating weight loss when combined with lifestyle interventions? Yeah, so what was so incredibly surprising and exciting, I think, for the obesity world was that the mean body weight reduction was about 15%. So the average kind of weight loss was 33.7, so 34 pounds um, in the smaglutide group versus just about 5.7 or 6 pounds in the placebo group. So a remarkable amount of weight loss comparable to a sleeve gastrectomy. So a sleeve gastrectomy, I think, as I said, was about 20% body weight. So a third of the patients achieved this just on smaglutide alone with lifestyle interventions. I mean, those are incredible results to me that seeing a weight loss of 15% of your body weight. And in these patients who had a mean body weight of about 230 pounds, that they were achieving 33, 34 pounds of weight loss on average is just remarkable and sustaining that throughout the course of the trial. Again, I think it's worth adding something you mentioned before, which is all of these patients did get weekly counseling on diet to encourage them to follow the reduced calorie diet and also to encourage them to get physical activity as well. And really the other numbers were remarkable. I mean, more than 50% of the patients achieved that 15% weight loss. And I think it was almost 70% is achieved at least a 10% weight loss, which is still, you know, equating out to greater than a 20 pound weight loss. What are some of the limitations, if any, in this trial that might impact the way ACG members apply it to their own patient populations? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, as, as exciting as this is, I think a follow-up period that you mentioned, 68 months, it seems like a long time, a year and a half almost. But the question is, what happens if you stop the medication? And presumably, we think the theory behind it, especially with it kind of trains your body, you train your body and your stomach to kind of eat less. And that's kind of how your body remembers that to not eat as much as you were before when you do stop it. 
But in practice, I feel like that doesn't necessarily always happen. So I think there's a lot of question marks in terms of when, if you stop it, is the weight just going to come back again? And then I think two other things. I mean, I think the demographics of the patient population was a little skewed. It was um, 75% female and up to 75% white patients. And so unclear what happens in other demographic groups. And then I think the biggest limiting factor for me is insurance coverage. Trial was sponsored by Novo Nordisk, who makes the drug, which is something to be said, but insurance coverage for this drug is a problem, especially in our Medicaid population. And so I think those are the biggest limitations, especially in my practice. Right. Again, uh, several really important things to unpack there, you know, starting with that last comment, as you said, it's very tough for Medicaid patients to get this as a treatment for obesity. Although I do think commercial insurance and Medicare Part D usually cover it pretty well. I think there are also some limitations because as you said, essentially 75% of the patient population was white and female, generalizing it to men, generalizing it across other races and ethnicities is something that's going to need to be looked at. And you know, we don't know for sure how it's going to work in the future when we combine it with bariatric surgery or as GI doctors, all the advances we're making in, in doing bariatric and endoscopic procedures. We want to look and see how well semaglutide is going to work when it's combined with that. I did want to ask you though, what about side effects? Are there other things to be worried about when you use it at these high doses as a weekly injection? So nausea and vomiting are the main side effects because it basically is causing a functional gastroparesis. It's slowing down your GI tract. And so some of my patients are exquisitely sensitive and just at the 0.25, 0.5 mark, they'll know that they can't tolerate this drug and then we just have to stop. Those are the main things that I've noticed. Um, but for the folks that can tolerate up to one and then 1.7, usually they're pretty good about getting up to the 2.4 dose. And then pancreatitis, as we had mentioned. That's been my impression that in this trial, nausea occurred in more than 40% of patients, diarrhea occurred in more than 30% of patients, but that it also seems to be a transient issue that occurs in the first few weeks. And in fact, only 5% of patients on semaglutide actually discontinued the medication because of severe nausea or severe diarrhea. And that it's just important to educate the patients in advance, hey, you might get a little bit of nausea or diarrhea initially when you start using the medication. I think the other thing I picked up on was just like any intervention that causes an acute quick drop in weight, you can see cholelithiasis develop. And I think about 2% of patients developed cholelithiasis in the semaglutide. What do you actually do in your own practice? Your obesity an obesity certified specialist, as well as being a hepatologist. I know you use this in a lot of your NASH patients. How do you actually practically put this into play in your own practice? I obviously see this from kind of a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease lens. Um, and it's actually, there's a phase two trial that has looked at this in fatty liver disease in NASH, and it's proven to be effective, which I think is gonna be an upcoming <laughs> podcast. But the way I think about it, so if I can get my patients the GLP-1, that's kind of my first line go-to. So along with the trial, we have two or three dietitians that we work with very closely. We talk a lot about the benefits of olive oil and the Mediterranean diet with carb counting and coffee. There's been a lot of data just on coffee and liver health in general. So those are the things that we kind of work with and um, using apps like MyFitnessPal to track what they're eating. 
and also just physical activity. So ideally we want our patients to be doing 150 minutes per week. We encourage them to, but you know, a lot of our patients, that's really, really hard for them. And so just trying to get to eight to 10,000 steps a day. So that's really how I use it. Unfortunately though, because of insurance restraints and, and to be honest, now that it's, um, you know, it's only come out three or four months now, it's so popular, the higher doses have kind of flown off the shelves. And so we're kind of stuck with like the one milligram dose, which is actually used for diabetes. So as those come in, you know, we're, we're trying to get our patients on it, but that's been actually another kind of limiting step, which I guess is a good thing. I mean, people are actually using it because it's, it's actually very effective. When you go on the website for semaglutide, the commercial name is Wagovi. There's a big banner saying there may be a delay in getting your prescription filled because essentially demand has overwhelmed supply. But as you said, I think it's important for the listeners to remember that this is a therapy that needs to be combined with education from a dietitian about reduced calorie diet, or as you said, a Mediterranean diet, along with having a dietitian that can essentially encourage them to lose weight. Getting coverage for a dietitian visit isn't going to be as big of a deal if the patient is a diabetic or a pre-diabetic. And as you said, you start usually at what dose and how do you escalate the dose? So I do 0.25 milligrams um, weekly for four weeks. And if they tolerate that, then I go up to 0.5 and then to one. So every four weeks, I I change the dose, then to one, then to 1.7, then to 2.4. Okay. Okay. So 0.25 to 0.5 to one to 1.7 to 2.4, and then they stay at that dose weekly. Well, As we've talked about for our listeners, if they aren't going to be actually prescribing this for their patients, then they do need to recognize that it's available, educate their patients about it, and hopefully identify either endocrinologists or general internal medicine physicians with obesity certification that are providing it. My impression is that's really the other two groups that GI physicians might refer patients to if they're overweight and or have NASH and really need this. Yeah, I do think those are the two main groups. But I have to say at the obesity medicine meetings, and even just if you look up on ABOM, it's the American Board of Obesity Medicine. The folks that are certified come from all different specialties. There are family practice, OBs, uh, OBGYNs that are getting certified. There are a good number of gastroenterologists that are certified that are interested in obesity, in addition to like cardiologists. So I think overall, I mean, because I think we're seeing that obesity just affects so many facets of our of everyday medicine, that so many other people are getting certified as well. So look to see who's an obesity medicine certified provider in your area, I think is the key thing to keep in mind. And as you said, next month, you and I will be doing a podcast about that phase two trial that specifically looks at semaglutide in NASH patients and its impact on fibrosis scores. And that's another incredibly important topic, but we'll save that for next month. And thanks again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.